We help you discover your many layers. You peel your car, you wake up, with fresh eyes. Question life, question humanity, question society, but most of all, question yourself. So I'm Josie Ann Smith and I'm the Global Programs Lead at Social Innovation Exchange, or SIX. I've been with SIX for almost two years now and also back in London for almost two years. Before that I was in Amman, Jordan, for five years since I graduated. I went on an adventure that went on a little bit longer than I had anticipated originally, but it was an um, incredibly interesting time and obviously very interesting place to be. And how you and I know each other is because I am on the kind of the team that's working on the Six Wayfinder um, 2020. And as part of that, we commissioned six artists, composers in residence, of which you are one, amazing one, to help us um, translate the, the insights from the Wayfinder into a way that was felt differently by the people who were encountering it. Um, and maybe just some context about the Wayfinder. This year's Wayfinder is its third year. And or I should say 2020's Wayfinder was, was the third Wayfinder. And it was about trying to kind of grasp meaning and shape action in very urgent times. And it was, you know, in the context of a lot of noise and a lot of chaos in the world. Still very much in the eye of the storm of it all. Um, but feeling like we as a social innovation sector needed to be responsive to it and also kind of uh, in close contact with the, the players who were there on the ground and trying to think differently and work differently in real time um, in their respective contexts, uh, workplaces, sectors, countries. And so it was a global convening over six months in which we, we gathered people together and hosted dialogues and hosted panel discussions and tried to replicate the experience of the conference but online and instead of over two days over six months and uh, you know instead of using one theme we we kind of split into uh, four movements and called it our symphony and so that's where the music metaphor and the arts became really important for us is to think about how do we how do we um share what we've been hearing back out to the world in a way that they can really feel and not just have to think. There is a poem that Josiane wrote for the Wayfinder project that encapsulates the responses of participants in 2020 during the pandemic. She later sent me the recording of this poetry recital and I thought this is a good part in this episode to insert it in for context. So here it goes. Story of our time. Linking, translating, relating, transforming. Blind spots, baseline, blame. Toxic, authority, fast, change. Cost, emergency, lockdown, poverty. Side to side, anxiety. Pushed, rushed, rough. Steps, back, busy. Exhaustion, insomnia uncertainty, trauma, questioning, virtual, physical, safety, nets, let's, wait, wait, hate, white, shock, wave, next, wave, unheard, rage, night and day, dystopia, ruin, town to town, broken, generation, lived, 
learned, tradition, dominant, government, crisis, screens, radical, power, risk, mindset, shift, pressure, depression, empty, engaging, accidental, enabling, action, suspension, sprout, out, one foot in and one foot urgent, emergent, hands-on, hands-off, stretched, protect, open, trojan, under, radar, liminal, neutral, I don't know, stillness, reflection, recollection, language, attention, permission, compassion, moral, strength, mission, healing, free, flowing, social, connecting, structural, soothing, tactile, trusting, inclusion, civic, soul, solidarity, wisdom, curiosity, listening, facilitation, counselling, relational, repair, no burden, autonomy, calls, to action, crowdfunding, cross-sector learning, underlying causes, systems, solutions, not symptoms, values, co-production, economics, innovation, paradigms, positive, story, evidence, integrate, reality, integrity, influence, creative, empathy, togetherness, legacy, linking, translating, relating, transforming. This is a poem that um, that I wrote for The Sixth Wayfinder. Um, it's called The Story of Our Time, Part 2, linking, translating, relating, transforming. Um, and all of the words in this poem came from uh, 90 plus hours of dialogue that myself and others in the sixth team had hosted over the first and second movements of the Six Wayfinder. So every word um, has been weaved into um, a poem and formatted in, in, in waves to try and um, depict what people were saying to us um, at the time that we were having these conversations with them, really, when it was still developing as a situation, when the pandemic was still developing as a situation in the world. And, and so, yeah, there is no word here that has not been told to us. And um, hopefully it represents the journey from um uh not knowing the journey of uncertainty the journey of blind spots and um aggression and traumas and um lots of questions and um um you know the feeling of emergency and urgency into this quieter space of reflecting and letting ourselves feel the weight of everything accepting it it is here with us now and this is what our life looks like currently and reckon reckoning with the damage that had already been done in the world and 
and recognizing that in our own families, in our communities, in our in our countries, and then um, kind of moving the poem into a place of hope, um, where we admit we don't know, we don't have all the answers, but we have ways through, and those ways are about our listening skills and our curious and kind of learning mindsets, our calls to action, our focus on healing and co-production, the shifting in paradigms, in mindsets, um, in, in how we do the work that we do, that's built on empathy and togetherness and kind of asking what kind of legacy we want to leave in the world. And so, yeah, this story of our time, part two, is trying to tell the story of of um, kind of midway through 2020. How was that experience um, doing the Wayfinder over that period of time when it was also the pandemic period? Well, we uh, very quickly realised we are also the people we are designing this this programme for, being part of the sector. And so we had, um, we knew what we needed as well. And that was also guiding us in terms of how can we, how can we do Zoom in a way that doesn't exhaust us? How do we have interactions that still maintain a sense of authenticity and connection, even though it's virtual? Um, how do we contribute and be additive with, with our work um, rather than just contributing, I guess, to the noise of everything? To the questions of everything how do we do this differently so we were kind of part of it um, as well um, as trying to contribute to it um, that meant in practice that our meetings looked really different and I think you talked about that also on your your episode with so and maybe uh Eile as well about uh that the meetings felt so different for you as an artist composer and it was the same as as an organizing team as well like when we met together it was a very different energy. We often incorporated music and icebreakers that got us moving and got us into very intimate and vulnerable spaces, you know, professionally appropriate um, spaces to really help us get into our bodies and get out of our minds and into our heart spaces and, and really think about how we do this work from, um, yeah, from a radically different place. So our meetings looked different in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we were guided by our needs um, and our, energy, our own energy levels and our own mental health uh, capacity. Um, and we had no certainty at any point in the way. And I think you, you might remember that as well. In the early days of the ACs speaking to, we don't know actually what your residency is going to look like, but are you in? You know, that was very much, do you remember? We had no clarity on this and there was no way we could have because we, it was still such an emergent process. Um, and, and so, yeah, we had no, no real certainty and each day we took as it came and kind of heard the signals of the sector and responded to that co-creation and action. But- but you know, that is actually so integral and important to socially engaged work because mm-hmm. when you when you go in with an idea in mind of what you're going to do, there is always that instrumentalization of, of your participants that, that is at stake. Whereas when it's completely organic and it's fluid, then you know that it's horizontal and you're going into something in, in that co-creation process. And I, I just found 
the entire process so humane in a way that honored each person's energy and and also mental well-being and physical well-being and the way that as an organization you managed to create a space like that and invite others into that space I have many praises to sing Mm. (laughs) and like um, in terms of like the poetry that that you wrote along the way because you yourself are a poet and the words are so beautiful I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to share thank you um yeah I also have praises to sing for for the team of of the Wayfinder I've learned a lot from the organizing team and my colleagues um Kelsey who is so magical in the way that she um, creates and holds this space and I would say a lot of the personality of the meetings that you know the artist composers in residence have had have been because of her so I've taken lots of notes out of her book um Louise Pulford our exec director as well has taught me a lot about um creativity and the process of creating which is also chaotic and how you get comfortable with that uncertain process um in order to create something beautiful and how and how you also create structure but also let it go so I've learned a lot from her and so um Jung who's also on your your podcast and her ability to bring empathy the humaneness that you talk about actually comes from so I feel uh, always my interactions with her would give me this feeling so yeah the organizing team of of Six Wayfinder have been remarkable and we also have other people who work with us as well and they've been beautiful contributions to the to the progress of Wayfinder um poetry so yes I'm a poet and I have a collection um that isn't published yet um it's called I Once Lived Here uh, and it's uh, uh, kind of 40, it's a, it's a pamphlet, 40 pages of poems that are about different aspects of the body, um, the body poems. Um, and they're about kind of like news body, home body, the body of me, the body of us, uh, the body of a week, the body of love. And so it's looking at the body from these different perspectives and it traces this, the journey of a, it's a coming of age collection, I think. So I'm a little bit little bit past past the content now I guess but it's a beautiful love story and a heartbreak story and a story of finding oneself set in the context of I think I'd written it over many years but the collection is about I guess telling the story of 2015 to 2017 so it was a real chaotic time also in the world Um, and it's interesting because the overlap with Wayfinder which started in 2017 was also on the back of a chaotic year in 2016, where you know so much was happening uh, in the world, and we felt as a sector that we had to respond to that, and we had to um, to to say what has been working and what hasn't. We can't let the world continue the way that it's continuing. And so maybe I'll read a poem from that collection um, to ground us ground us there. So this is part four, and it's called Newsbody. Trump was running. News stories were covering the Russians, the hacking, civil wars, Aleppo, fools, refugees on our shores, fake news, Brexit, Zika virus, terror, nightclubs under fire, David Bowie, Professor Snape, Muhammad Ali dying, police brutality, young gunmen, white supremacy, Yet there we were in the supermarket, laughing, 
uncoordinated, I mean, completely floppy, such dizzying joy to digest. Couldn't escape even if we tried. It was like we were on a roller coaster. On our final night together, before my airport departure, we went shopping, pretending to be doing groceries for our shared home and life. German rye breads, nutritious teas, sweet treats. Isn't it interesting how enchanting things become when you're in love? I turned laughing from a joke he had just made and then I noticed happiness on the face of the man stacking fruits in aisle five. Couldn't mistake it, the way he locked eyes with mine after hearing my laugh ring out above the speaker calling workers back to their tills. Maybe on that grey Thursday, he appreciated seeing two people in love. Those same misty eyes were reflected back at us many times. What a year to find it, the thing we had been searching for. New love, joy, belonging. It was the morning of my departure, the moment I realised I had found the love of a good man and told him so, as my hands brushed his cheek. Frightening though it is to be so hopelessly in it, I became resolute about choosing someone who helps me spread love in a world like this. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, so so that that poem for me illustrates the chaos and complexity of a, of a year that was just so crazy and there was so much humanity and love also happening at the same time. How do you hold the tension of like the world going crazy and also you're trying to live your life you're falling in love you're going through heartbreak or you know there's grief in the family or there's you have to move house jobs so much is happening also in life so yeah so I guess that's one poem to contribute and through the wayfinder I've contributed a couple of others um that I guess are the, probably the first time I've married my poetry and my my work in the social impact space. Can you tell me more about your journey? So how how did you enter the social impact space? You know, how did you fall into poetry? Um, what were you doing in the Middle East? And then did, did that sort of like informs or influence or inspire your, your work after or your direction after? And and how, how did you end up in film production? <laughs> That's a lot of questions, but That's I just book. thought it'd be really interesting to 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 understand sort of like your your story. Um, so my background is in I'm a sociologist, and when I was at school and then in university, I started being involved in the social enterprise um, space. So I was on the organising team for the first social enterprise conference in Bristol University. Um, that was a really fundamental year, I think, for for that that kind of the language of impact on business to to be there in, in the university. It wasn't really there before. People were thinking about management consulting jobs or humanitarian work, and the idea of marrying the two worlds was super new. So it was really cool to be a part of that really kind of emergent space. And through you know around that time, I started getting involved in design thinking work, design thinking for social change, which at the time, I guess, t 10 years ago now, was still a fairly new uh, mindset and methodology. 
Um, not anymore, obviously. But um, and so that was super cool. And through that, that was an organisation called Make Sense that I worked with, and they're still going today, and they're doing incredible work all over the world. Um, and it was there that I was I was called a storyteller. The people that I worked with or and alongside would call me Josie Ann storyteller, and that name stuck and so I began to kind of learn about what storytelling looked like in my context and I'm still to, to an extent kind of figuring that out um, at the time it had been manifesting through performance poetry I was a spoken word artist and performed with um, the BBC a couple of times and in various spaces in Bristol and I was kind of yeah getting involved a little bit in the poetry scene some of whom I'm still kind of connected to um, now which is amazing um so that was my background in poetry and actually when I so I graduated from sociology uh, with a first class honours and then um, decided that um I wanted to be the author of my post-graduation story and I didn't want to just fall into the first opportunity that came my way and I was very conscious of the question what story do I want to tell about this time in my life many years later there's only one I, there's only one story I'll get to tell and what is that going to be and I decided the story that felt the most alive for me or exciting to me that didn't make me feel a bit uh that didn't feel very ordinary was the fact that I had moved to Jordan I didn't have many connections to Jordan I had a couple of friends I'd been there the year before and like a cultural exchange um with a few people but for some reason, it just, it really felt in my body like the right thing to do. So it felt like a calling. And that was, so that, so my storytelling was also, it became a, a guiding framework, I guess. Like what story do I want to tell about my life and, and about this time in my life, you know? And that's how I made a lot of decisions. That was my navigating mechanism, I guess. And when I went to Jordan, the idea initially was that I'd set up a poetry house um, and, um, did some work with something called the Applied Theatre Action Institute, which was marrying um, spoken word poetry and social change with young people from uh, Oakland in California, uh, Bristol, and then Jordan. And um, so I did set up a poetry house. It wasn't the Applied Theatre one, but it was um, kind of teaching and facilitating spoken word poetry workshops with, with young people. Um, and that was super interesting as a process. Poetry is so... Uh, deeply embedded in, in, in Arabic language, classical and spoke, uh, kind of standard Arabic, and is also in the culture um, uh, in the region. And so the, the poetry that I would teach met with a lot of resistance. People walked out of our slams a lot of the time from a certain generation. They were offended by the medium of performance poetry, which is more aggressive, often in English, although that's changing. Um, angry um, it has a social justice slant to it a lot of the time and this was really different to the gentle uh, romantic dramatic and also like incredibly in intelligent um, poetry that's in the Arabic language and classical classical poetry uh, Mahmoud Darwish for instance is a really famous poet that's often uh, kind of quoted um, and so I guess that journey was the first of many in kind of experiencing cultural friction and how that creates a, a social narrative. 
about what who we are as a group and and what we believe in what our values are and what's okay and what isn't and where we feel comfortable with change and where we don't and obviously I was um, a British person and Jordan is um, the history of Britain and Jordan is is a colonial one and so there were so many tensions that I was navigating in, in my very early and naive days of, of being there um, but it really informed um, my uh, my approach to social change really and community building and how and how that kind of the slow process of change happens through relationships and happens in the locus of a small group of people often um and then I just um again I just hopped between different uh pursuits that felt exciting for me so I worked with um uh entrepreneurs at one point I was supporting an entrepreneurship program connecting entrepreneurs in Jordan Tunisia and Egypt with entrepreneurs and investors in Europe so that was a little bit of a cultural exchange and economic exchange type type piece of work um I taught yoga became a yoga teacher did that um I worked for a strategic design company and helped um various projects but one was the branding like a the branding of the country um, with the Ministry of Tourism and so thinking about how you brand a place and so that was also very interesting to think about design and strategic design in the context of place making um, so that was also really a fascinating time and I was also an assistant producer on a film um, about food and the food system in Jordan and the context of that economically and, and socially as well and and how, how that's changing now with various tariffs and, and trade, trade agreements between Jordan and America, Jordan and, and Europe and so on. And what that means locally for farmers and for restaurateurs and for foodies and, and the kind of tensions again of kind of cultural change in that. Um, what is perceived to be good quality food um, whether it's foreign or not and so on so all the work that I I did and there was looking at change from one, one in one way or another change and innovation I guess in a social and cultural context what were you motivated by what is it in your experience that made you passionate about change making oh good question <laughs> I'm not sure what I was motivated by, but I was certainly driven by a curious instinct. I, I went where I was curious. Um, and that's the only, yeah, that may be the truest answer I could give you is that I, I don't really have a rationale for that, but I know what felt, felt like something I'd want to explore further. Um, maybe there was something about, you know, complexity I guess like since I've come back to the UK I, I do some work with and in systems thinking um, and I think that really speaks to my the way I understand the world is is the complexity of the world and the things that I was curious about were the things that didn't have easy answers that often contained a lot of paradox and tension um, and were deeply personal were often spiritual in nature and had you know consequences way bigger than the individual or a small group you know and that that's where it becomes really 
even harder to pinpoint, you know, as a sociologist, your society, a society is just thousands of invisible people. You will never know your whole society is just strangers. And so how do you make sense of that, you know, the, the space that goes beyond the, your immediate kind of instinct and, and surrounding and, yeah, kind of just trying to hold that and navigate through that and also create a language and framework for that. Um, I also took part in social dialogue circles with a community called Shams Community, which, which means sun in Arabic. Um, and they do incredible work around holding space for diverse groups of people, expats and um, locals and tourists and pe people of all ages, backgrounds and languages to kind of come together around a meal and, and kind of reflect on various themes from mental health or arts to um, recycling and, you know, maybe more culturally taboo subjects like sexuality or um, religion. Um, and so that was an amazing thing to be a part of too, to kind of, how do you make these complex subjects felt? I've been thinking a lot about um, what makes someone care and what makes someone care enough to make a difference in the world, to commit to action and to create change. Because when we think about systemic change, we talk a lot about awareness, but then there, it's, it's one point where awareness is and it's another point where the action and the change is going to be at. And a lot of times people can be aware, but they might not get to point B where the action is at. And I've sort of been like reflecting on that and what is what is the emotive force or what is it behind people who are passionate about creating change? What is it in there that we can perhaps unlock when we talk about transforming awareness and that energy into an action that people would commit and perhaps sacrifice to get to? And change is always uncomfortable how can we be more comfortable with this discomfort? And I guess also like in sort of drawing back to the, the very the very start of the conversation, talking about the work at Social Innovation Exchange, but also all of these conversations, how can we not add to the noise, but, you know, really all these experiences to transform it into something that we can actually act moving forward mm. and the complexity of these issues that that's kind of surface right now probably a lot more emphasized because of the pandemic and the situation and the way that things played out and how how can we bridge that you know like how can we bridge understanding the issues or even understanding the system understanding the complexity of all of these problems which actually are really complex and not easy to understand. So for the normal person, probably most people wouldn't even put in the time to try and understand it because it's just huge, it's massive. Right. And, and if we get to a point where we actually understand it, what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with it? Because we are equally lost in that pool, you know, mm -hmm. it's having all of that information and knowing that as much as I can understand all of these dis different disciplines and different sections of it, I'm not going to be an expert in all of it because it's impossible. And then what is our place? What is it that we can do to actually change something? <laughs> <laughs> do you have more to say? 
Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually still processing all of these. And a lot of times when I talk about these issues, because I'm in a setting right now where I'm, I'm surrounded with people who a lot of times are indifferent about these issues. And then they will be telling me that it's too complicated. You have to simplify it. But it's not something that I can simplify. Yet I, I have to convey it. I have to communicate it. And the sort of like business way of looking at things is that I just want something that's simple. I just want something that can make money out of. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm finding that sort of conflict, you know, how, how do I bridge that language? You know, like mm-hmm. how, how can I explain something? Like I'm, I'm kind of in this stamp viewpoint where like, look, you know, this, this issue, it's big, it's huge. You have to understand all of these different parts and you have to understand the philosophy of it before we can create that change. And that's going to, you know, in that become a change in lifestyle in the way that we, we view life. But then on the other hand, they are like, this is too complicated. Just put it into one sentence so that I can understand it. And then what is it that we can do, you know, when when I say I'm an artist, people would say like, okay, what are you doing in the arts? And they, it's almost like, you know, you are in these categories and what is it that you can do in this space? And then because my research had led me to understand something that is much more than, that is completely beyond just art and social change because it, it links to systemic change, it links to the climate crisis, it links to so many things. That's why I found myself in so many different spaces and people get lost because they feel like I'm, I'm not, you know, just zoned, sort of tuning into one thing and work on it and focus on it yet to understand all of it we have to put ourselves in different places um those are such good questions and they're very alive um for lots of people um and um there's lots of ways to answer that one of the ways i I will say is um, part of the decolonizing agenda is to legitimate the diversity of experience and perspective around social change. And that means there will be people who are comfortable with the complexity um, because in their own personal experiences, it is complex. They, they are not given the privilege of taking lots for granted. And, and so legitimating experiences like that Um, which maybe uh, experiences you and I might kind of identify with a bit more versus people who understand things in more simple ways or who who need to understand things in simple ways or who, you know, take things from a more transactional mathematical point of view and maybe have an agenda that's more aligned with kind of capitalism, which has a, a kind of a thread to it that needs a whole different paradigm how do we create a space for all of these perspectives to coexist um, and legitimate all of them? And that's part of the decolonizing mindset um, agenda is to say it, it's valid to, to exist alongside each other. It's not an either or. Um, uh, how do we work together to build a, a kind of a stronger narrative, I guess? So that's the first thing. Your questions, what makes people care? What makes people care? And also what helps them to act these are going to be lifelong questions for you they should be lifelong questions for you because that answer will change over time because we're in a changing society and what makes people care will change when depending on stimulus and and the context and urgency and and narrative kind of dominant social societal narrative and so on 
Um, and they're great questions to be guiding a lot of your work. I hope you never stop answering those questions um, or kind of asking them. I would say that in my experience, what has made me care is pain or struggle, hurt and or grief or love and longing. And those experiences have given me motivation and courage and uh, yeah, kind of desire, longing to change something. And that's why it's really hard for social change practitioners because we can't give people pain. What we can do is, is find them the people who are lonely, the people who are struggling, the people who are asking for things to change because they have to, they actually have to for their own lives, for their own longevity and livelihoods. Those are the people we have to be working with and, and supporting and also profiling and platforming because that's the authentic, that's authenticity, right? Is this, is grounding in that place. And it's also not easy because a lot of activists, I talk about this a lot, but a lot of activists who do have these kind of locations of personal experience and their personal motivations for the cause that they're, they're fighting for this creates burnout uh, a lot of the time and and and, and so over identification with the cause is also not healthy and always when we think about what makes people care and what helps them to act to create change it has to come from a place of healing and not from a place of pain so it has to the agenda has to be and the, the source has to be uh working towards healing of self healing of society like the vision of healing has to be the driving force and not the not the vision of pain that's my personal opinion but I, I know a lot of people who have every right to be very very angry and in grief and in pain and they're gonna they say this is what needs to be center stage right now is my pain you need to hold space for my pain and not my agenda for healing and I, I have a lot of time for that too um I, so so again like the diversity of narrative there is really important and then the final thing that I'll say is I'd really recommend a book, um, a collection of essays by one of my favourite authors called Audrey Lord. One of her collections is called Sister Outsider and her essay, The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action, is such an incredible essay when we think about what makes people care and, and speak up. Um, and so I'm going to read you some extracts from her because I also feel like her words should be brought into this space too, if that's okay. I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal and shared, even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood. That the speaking profits me beyond any other effect. I'm standing here as a black lesbian poet and the meaning of all that waits upon the fact, the fact that I'm still alive and might not have been. We can learn to work and speak when we are afraid in the same way we have learned to work and speak when we are tired. For we have been socialized to respect fear more than our own needs for language and definition. And while we wait in silence for that final luxury of fearlessness, the weight of that silence will choke us. The fact that we are here and that I speak these words is an attempt to break that silence and bridge some of those differences between us. 
for it is not difference which immobilizes us, but silence. And there are so many silences to be broken. Um, another famous quote that comes from this essay is, your silence will not protect you. Uh, and so maybe that's, uh, maybe that's how Audrey may have answered your question as well. There is um, this question that I ask at the end of every episode. If there's something that someone can do to create change, what would it be? I think working on self-healing from the traumas and challenges of being alive in the world, common kind of experience. So I think healing of self is, is the starting point for he healing a society. My mum used to always say charity begins at home and I hated it. So I was like, yes, but that's the hardest. <laughs> but you know, there's something about it is like, how do we replicate the kind of social transformations that we want to see in the world, but in our own day-to-day -day and lived experience, in our dialogues, in our in the way that we treat and talk about ourselves and how we speak to strangers, how we feel about strangers on the street, like they are society. And um so I think that we make change um, through healing of self and healing of our social interactions in the day-to-day. -day. There is this quote by Charles Eisenstein, um, which says, it is to recognize that healing on any level contributes to healing on every level. Social healing and ecological healing are the same work. We will continue to abuse our fellow beings, even our own Mother Earth, as long as we carry unhealed social traumas. Mm -hmm. Perfectly said. Yeah. And I think it really puts things into context because, you know, that he would, in his books, um, he, he also wrote about how there would be these, you know, sort of fights like, oh, this, this work with um, racism, Black Lives Matter, it's more important than the ecological work or like, oh, the climate crisis is the most important thing. Everything else can wait, it doesn't matter. But then everything interlinks as much as our ecosystem is very interdependent on everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And regenerative principles, it's also about that, you know, when we look at healing, everything needs to heal altogether. So when we function as a whole, that means that every part of this whole if there is anything that is unhealthy, if there is any part that is not well, every other part will suffer as well. And, you know, mindset wise, when we talk about crit critical thinking, awareness and, and change, I think it's also changes the lifestyle and it's a philosophy. And how can we look beyond just, you know, like individualistic mindsets towards looking at the collective? How can we start to have the more ecocentric approach to life? How can we look at the ecosystem? How can we look at the people, the humans around us, the animals around us, the plants around us, the nature around mm -hmm. us? And how can we build a life that doesn't compromise one or the other, that doesn't exploit the other for our well-being, which is very much, you know, this capitalist narrative because that's how products are produced, that's how profits are made. Yeah, I mean, Eileen, Kylie's episode probably answers that question better than I could when she shares how plants make sound just by being and are in conversation with us all the time, whether we look at them or don't, you know, depending on what energy we're bringing into the room, plant music, plant medicine. 
is fascinating and I don't know enough about it but there's there's a whole field of experience that we I believe my very belief is like my core is that we just don't know enough again like grounding it in the day-to-day and not being esoteric or, or overly kind of abstract but making sure that it's grounded in our personal experiences and in our daily interactions and how we wake up in the morning and how we go to sleep and how you know um knowing where where does it hurt and where are we alive what makes us come alive like these questions I think are so important to start from where can people go to find out more about your work um they probably should head to the six wayfinder website sixwayfinder.com and on that there's this emerging score of all the uh, conversations that we've been a part of and workshops that we've been um, running and what's come out of those and some of the poetry that I wrote for Six Wayfinder is on that website too so uh, you know I want to give that time and space too Um, and there's just obviously the work of the artist composers is there and that's been such a great journey for me to experience with you guys is is exploring what the role of art and music is in in all of these questions right like this is this was a conversation a in english and b in language and the work of the artist composers is to to think about new ways of having this conversation this exact conversation but in different media uh and so yeah i think i think six wayfinder website is just a treasure trove for 2020 and 2021 honestly and i i hope it it stays alive i hope it i'm sure it will but I hope it becomes becomes more alive in different spaces and sectors and, and conversations. And I think it's a template. It will be a template going forwards. Um, so it's very exciting. This is uh, likely the first podcast episode for 2021. Do you have any, any words to share? Um, I, well, you're speaking to me day three of going back to work. So if the class was like day 156, maybe I'd feel different. But I um, I have more hope today than I did a week ago. Um, and I'm not sure I have hope that things will change um, this year in terms of the pandemic. Um, but I have hope that things will, will feel better. And that we, there are many things that can only get better in terms of how we do this pandemic thing and how we do this social justice thing in the context of a pandemic. Um, And so so my 2021 words are the words of hope and that hope is a human instinct. We must never forget that, that hope is a human instinct. And we only know this when we don't have any more hope and we know what choices we have ahead of us. And we choose or we don't, but really it's the hope that keeps us alive and keeps us going. And I, I honestly do do believe that hope kicks in when there's nothing else. Um, and so and so 2021 is hope, or nothing, you know, all or nothing. It's hope or nothing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your time. And happy new year. Happy new year to you. <laughs> 
Hello, Onions Talk listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, it would really help if you can leave a review on iTunes or like us on Facebook. Otherwise, subscribe and share with people whom you think will enjoy this. Special thanks to Andre for the music. Catch you next episode.